Heavenly Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to superintend this time in your word. I pray that you would remove um, distractions from our own hearts and minds and distractions from words that I might say that it would not be of you, but that what we would hear is what the Holy Spirit would speak to us and what, God, you intend for us to hear from your word this morning. So Lord, we come as humble servants, ready to hear what it is that you would speak to us and make us those that as we hear would become doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read all of Galatians 2 and then we will kind of dive in and dissect a few things together. Beginning verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. In order to make sure that I was not running at, or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false prophets, False brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. The question this week, in my own heart, is why did Christ die? And as I contemplated that, I didn't want to, to think, why did Christ die? 
and ask that as a question of all of you in a sort of rhetorical way. What I mean when I say, why did Christ die? It should cause us just a moment to reflect in our own heart, in our own spirit, in our own mind, to say, why did Christ die for me? I asked that question myself this week a lot and in prayer. And as I, again, have talked about looking in the mirror and finding that it's not always pleasant, I come to the same question. Why did Christ die for me? Why for me? Augustine tells us this. To will is natural. To will a right is grace. Why did Christ die for me? Grace. So what I understand on this side of Christ's redemptive work on the cross and the Holy Spirit's regenerative work in my heart and mind is that I was imprisoned to my free will wherein I was trapped with no avenue of escape. All of my free choices were additional bricks on a wall that were separating me from the freedom that I find in Christ alone today. I walked this, this earth blind and ignorant of the perfect will of God, of His goodness and of His mercy. I was staggering through life Building traps from which there was no way to escape. Christ died that this ungodly man might be free from his ignorant, blind self. That the traps he built might be loosed. That his eyes, having been opened by God, might receive the revelation of the reality of Christ. And that his life might no longer be his treasure. But that he would find his treasure in the only one that could set him free. This life that he lives, he lives by faith. Faith not in, faith not in himself. But faith in the faithful one, in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, I have been set free from me. As I contemplated this gospel, why did Christ die for me personally? It's all of that. I have been set free from me. Walking around building fences and walls and traps that I couldn't get myself out of, even if I tried. Before Christ, I thought it was all about me. I made it all about me. I still have those struggles in my own flesh to make it all about me. And Christ would say, I died for you, that you would be free from you. Romans 1, beginning in verse 20, says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, this ungodly man was blinded because I had exchanged the truth that only God could open my eyes, and I believed a lie that I could just clearly see, and that I could set myself free. And in that thinking, all the while, all I was doing was building more traps for myself that I could not escape from. 
that he couldn't get out of. So then Galatians 2, 1 through 6. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those I say seemed influential added nothing to me. You see, Paul takes Barnabas along to inquire of other gospel-proclaiming Christians. He wants to affirm his understanding of the gospel. I want to affirm, do I, do I have this right? You see, he wanted to make sure that he had not run afoul of the gospel. Even in any such short time as it is that these Galatians who he's writing to, they'd only been, this had been proclaimed to them over the past year and a half. And here Paul is saying, by his own example, this is what I did. I went to make sure that the gospel that I was proclaiming was affirmed by other gospel-believing folks so that I would not get astray. That right away, you see, this text by implication of Paul's inquiry of other Christ followers shows us this about the church. That we have an obligation, we have a duty, and we have an authority to determine the who and the what of the gospel. What is the gospel and who belongs to it? Not only must you and I discern what is the real gospel, the only gospel, which is what we looked at last week, right? There was only one gospel. But that we must discern the who of the gospel. Because you see here in this text that these false brothers, and Luke proclaims them in chapter 14 as jealous, non-believing Jews. Jealous. You see, they were spying out their freedom. These have freedom in Christ, and we have no such freedom because we have not Christ, is what they would say, right? We don't have this Christ. But if you're going to claim that God has set you free and that you are now part of the family of God, well, I don't like this freedom. I don't like this freedom that you have. I don't like the fact that you're free when I'm all bound up. I want you to be in the same jail cell with me. I would like you to be all bound up like I am. You see, and what I proclaim here this morning is that you see this, that what he's really saying is that these are those who are blinded by their own self-righteousness. And they suppress the truth in their own ungodliness. And what they want to do is circumvent the freedom that the Gentiles had found in Christ. And Paul says that not even for a moment did they succumb to the notion that freedom be found anywhere. Anywhere else except in, the, in Christ Jesus and in his atoning work on the cross at Calvary. He was saying, not even for a moment, not for a second, did we succumb to them who would try to circumvent our freedom. Not for a second. But what was it? Was it for their sake? No. For the sake of others. For the sake of the Gentiles, we did not succumb to this. It preserved the gospel for the sake of other folks. You see, what it is that you and I believe today about the gospel, what we believe 
about Jesus Christ, what we hold to, the reason why at the beginning of our services that we say these confessions about who Christ is, is that this preserves us in our hearts, right? It gives us right thinking, right theology, right doctrine, a right heart. It should lead to those things and it should lead to right actions as well. But what it does is it preserves that truth for the generation who comes behind us. The generation that comes behind us says, those who were before me trusted the gospel and they said it was this. And it was about freedom. And that those guys lived as if they were actually set free. They lived like they, they really knew that the gospel had set them free. They lived that way. They spoke that way. They loved that way. That's a legacy that we as Christians, hand on to the next generation that might come behind us. Let's look at uh, 6 to 10 here in Galatians. And those who seem to be influential, what they were, makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, received the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that was eager to do. You see, what I noticed in this text is that the gospel levels the playing field. In all the controversies going on in our world and in our nation right now, I look at the gospel and we talk about what matters, what lives matter. We don't need a banner saying what lives matter. We don't need to claim that a certain type of life matters. Because here, the gospel says that it levels the playing field. Jewish lives matter. Gentile lives matter. Police lives matter. Black lives matter. White lives matter. Unborn lives matter. The gospel saves lives that matter to God. The lives that matter to God are the lives of His choosing that declare the glory that belongs to Him alone. The gospel is proof that your life matters. The gospel's proof that your life matters. If you this morning are receiving these words, your life matters to God. And that fact is an unfathomable mystery to me. It's an unfathomable mystery of His grace. And it's a gift of the Almighty Sovereign of the universe that my life matters to God. Amazing. We could stop there and walk in that for the rest of our lives, could we not? Amen. That your life matters to God because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I thought of another question that just kept stirring in my heart this week, besides the one of why did Christ die? The question before me this morning, before you, is if the gospel ensures that your life matters, are you living like Christ's death, burial, and resurrection matter? If the gospel says your life matters, then the gospel matters, doesn't it? Christ's life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection 
matter? Are we living like the gospel truth matters? Then I ask this question, if that be so, if the gospel truth matters, what must we do? That always becomes the next question, right? If that's true, then what must we do? Because we all want to know, what must we do? How do I live in light of the truth that my life matters because the gospel matters? How do I live? I always want to know the answer to that question. Of course, I am not wise enough or smart enough to tell you that I know the answer. But I will tell you this, that what I have found from looking at the scriptures is that it tells us how and what to do. It tells us how to do it. Also tells us another thing that's really tough is that you don't have the strength to do it yourself. That you can't do it. That you need the transforming work of the gospel to do it. That's what we know. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Now I'm just going to read this text because it says what my heart wants to say. I have no need to expound upon this at all. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's what to do. Is that not what to do? In light of the fact that, that God has set you free, here's what to do. This is what to do. Let's look at verse 11 of Galatians. Chapter 2. But when Jesus came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself during the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in set with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You see, from Acts 15, 
verse 1 and 2, those that had come down from Antioch, they tried to impose the notion that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, was not enough. But, that it's all that and circumcision. And those that came down included Peter. Peter was one of those that had come down to impose this upon them. Well, Paul then aptly concludes that if you're living in the freedom of of the gospel, then how dare you, how dare you impose some sort of restriction or law that would further build a wall? That would build a wall and circumvent the freedom that God offers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would say, how dare you? How dare you put them under this bondage where they would build a wall that they can't get out of? A trap that they can't themselves set themselves free from. A trap that, that, that Paul would say, as he was so uh, knocked off the horse, as, as Paul was knocked to the ground by God himself, and his eyes were blind, he could see nothing, that he had set up all these traps for himself that he couldn't get out of. He, he claimed that he could follow the law and that in the law he was blameless and that he, he would put that off on those who had believed in Christ. That they would put this wall around him. And even he was bound up and not set free in a blind, pitiful, self-righteous, ungodly human being. He says, how dare you? How dare you put something in the way of the gospel that would build up a wall? Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul would say, the gospel set me free from me. Set me free from my own self-righteous, law-abiding, Lawful heart of legalistic sort of fence building, wall building, prison. The gospel set me free from me. And then I think about this about myself as I look at this. I say this old, blind, staggering man that was trapped by sin and was doomed to death, he is now gone. The life that that we now live is by faith in the one who set the captives free. Christ came to set those who were captive free. And if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed. If we desire to live a life that matters, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh. And thus we declare that life, death, and resurrection of the life-giving sacrifice of Jesus Christ matters. We proclaim that the gospel of Jesus Christ matters. We take a look at the world, we look at the problems of the world, look at bombings, killings, everybody wants to focus in on that particular group, their life matters, 
This life matters. The life that matters is the one that set you free. The life that Jesus lived, the death that he died, the overcoming work of the grave by God himself to lift his son from the grave, that life matters. Because that life is the life that set you and I free. You know, later in Acts 17, it is said something to this effect. I'm going to butcher this because it's just in my head. Is that in Him we move and breathe and have our being. It becomes who we are. This life-saving work of the life of Christ, of the gospel of Jesus, that sets us free. And the gospel matters. Whatever the problem is in the world, whatever it is, and there's lots of them. I was discouraged looking at the news. I get discouraged. But I understand this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the solution and it will prevail. It is the life that sets people free. Jesus Christ's life set me free and I can testify that to that to the utmost ends of the earth. I can say without a doubt, I know my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am indeed a son of God because Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection matter and they have set me free from the traps that I would set for myself. And I ask you this morning, do you feel trapped? Do you feel trapped? If you do, Christ is here to set you free. He and He alone can set you free. There's not a rule you can follow. There's not a right church you can go to. There's not a right song you can sing. There's not a place you can go that can set you free. There's not a buddy that can help you. There's not a buddy who can set you free. There's not a buddy who can pay your debt. There's not one that can pay your debt except for the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you feel trapped and you want to be set free, if God is pulling on your heart, He is setting you free right now, and what must you do to be free? I must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him on the third day. I must confess this with my mouth and believe this with my heart, and I shall be saved. The simple gospel. That's the truth. Amen.